Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved. Good to be with you today. It's just so always, It's how's that for English? It's just so always good to be with you. I'm thrilled. I'm truly thrilled. I love our hour together, and um, I love that we can be who we are. One of our four patrons is St. Francis de Sales, who says, be who you are and be that well. Who we are as Catholics, we are the salt of the earth, and we have to stay salty. We have to stay salty. We need to be saints. That is to be not perfect. That means to be set apart. To be holy is not to be perfect. It is to be set apart from the world to God. We need to do that. It's the way, the only way that there's going to be hope for the world if Catholics live their faith. And so, dear ones, I welcome you as always to call in with anything on your heart. Um, Whatever it is, doesn't have to be what we're speaking of. Uh, you could call in anonymously if you wish. Anything you wish is fine. Uh, toll free or text at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at thestationofthecross dot com, and we will begin to take your calls and emails and texts after the first break. And I'm going to continue where we were yesterday. We have been reading through uh, this magnificent, helpful. A wonderful life-saving document by um, uh, a cardinal and uh, three bishops, uh, Cardinal Raymond Leo Burke and um, uh, two cardinals, Cardinal Janis Pujats, uh, Jan Paul Lenga, Archbishop, and Bishop Athanasius Snyder from Pakistan. Um, this is uh, these are true shepherds of the church who know that the sheep are being confused in our day. They're being led astray. They are, as Jesus said, uh, to his false shepherds, his wayward shepherds in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Ezekiel. um, You have left the sheep to starve, to die. You have left them without a shepherd. And he said, I will do away with these shepherds and I will shepherd my people. Well, God is shepherding his people. He never fails. He is the good shepherd. And he's shepherding us through magnificent bishops and cardinals who care about souls. That is to be number one on any bishop's heart, successors of the apostles, the salvation of souls, not their place in the curia, not their reputation, not their safety, not what people think of them, not their popularity, but the salvation of souls who are sheep on their way to hell without a savior. And these wonderful bishops, four of them, two cardinals and two bishops put together the declaration of truths relating to some of the most common errors in the life of the church of our time. And some of the most common errors, and there's 40 of them that they talk about. And I've said previously, they don't teach on them. They don't give their opinions. These are exact quotes on these points 
from church teaching and documents and the catechism and the scriptures and popes encyclicals of, of past days. So, um, and then they give every reference here. I'm not reading the references, but you can, just for time's sake, but you can look this up on the internet and print it out yourself or at least read it online. Declaration of the Truths Relating to Some of the Most Common Errors in the Life of the Church of Our Time. I think if you just type in in quotes, Declaration of the Truths, um, you'll, you'll bring it up. And it's in sections. And we begin today where we left off yesterday on the sacraments. And we're at point 30 of the 40. In the Most Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist, a wonderful change takes place namely of the whole substance of bread into the body of Christ and the whole substance of wine into his blood, a change with the, which the Catholic Church very fittingly calls transubstantiation. Every theological explanation which seeks some understanding of this mystery must, in order to be in accord with Catholic faith, Maintain that in the reality itself, independently of our mind, the bread and wine have ceased to exist after the consecration, so that it is the adorable body, um, that body which is to be adored, the adorable body and blood of the Lord Jesus, that from then on are really before us under the sacramental species of bread and wine. You know, um, I, I may have told the story, I don't know if I told it on Sage of the Cross or Live Sight a while back uh, when we were in Tulsa early on, and I was walking through the streets with uh, some of the sisters, and there was a huge Wonder Bread store, and we went into it. And we were just, we were all fully habited and looking around the store. We really didn't intend to buy anything, but I had a little trick in my heart. Wonder Bread, I wanted to tell them who the true bread of life was. So we walked around the store shopping and um, we came up close to the counter and there was a, a line. Uh, so we stood on line and, um, and some people looked at us because, you know, we're there, this is Baptist country and we're in full habits and, um, and I said to them, uh, you know, every, and I just told them, the, the cashier and three people online before us, I said, you know what the Catholic Church believes, that this little round piece of wheat and water becomes God at the words of consecration. And they said, yeah, yeah, we, we, we know, we know. They don't all know that theological process, but they know that Catholics bow and adore that bread of God and believe that it is God. And I said, well, if it's a piece of bread, if it remains a piece of bread, you know, we, we are doing something very wrong and we're idolaters. But if it really becomes the body and blood of Christ through the words of consecration, just as Jesus at the Last Supper said, had matzah, unleavened bread in his hand, he said, this is my body. And bread obeyed and became his body. He said in Genesis, let there be light. And there was. He creates by his word. And so he, at the Last Supper, who St. Augustine said held himself in his own hand because he said, this is my body, and bread obeyed, says the same words through the priest. It's Christ 
the high priest who says those words, and he is also the victim. And it's through the instrumentality of the priest that Christ, we hear the mouth of the priest, we hear the voice of the priest, but it's Christ's words. Christ says through the priest, this is my body, and again, bread obeys. That little round wafer of wheat and water is no longer bread, but God, God in his hands. And and they were not too thrilled about that explanation. I didn't, I didn't say all of that. Um, but I did say to them, now, if it's true, that's the real wonder bread. And they all laughed and they said, well, that's great. You guys have to come back. So don't be afraid to tell the world. Don't be against them because they think it's only symbolic. My Protestant pastor used to teach that our Lord's words in John 6, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He said, of course, Jesus is talking symbolic. Otherwise, he'd be teaching us cannibalism. And I think now that I'm Catholic, well, why would he symbolize cannibalism? Why would he even do that if it's not true? Why would he want us to symbolize cannibalism? It makes no sense. It is true. It is true. When Christ was on earth, he didn't look like God. But he was God, and 100% God, and 100% man. He was. He didn't look like God. He, um, he came among us as one of us. And uh, God is not a man, he's a spirit, but he became man for us. And God is not bread, but he became bread for us. He became our food. And truly at Mass, what we receive is the entire body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ as he was on earth, except even more now, glorified. We receive the risen, glorified body of our Lord Jesus Christ at Mass. Number 31, the formulations by which the Council of Trent expressed the Church's faith in the Holy Eucharist are suitable for men of all times and places since they are a perennially valid teaching of the Church. 32, in the Holy Mass, a true and proper sacrifice is offered to the Blessed Trinity and this sacrifice is propitiatory. That means a satisfactory sacrifice to God, both for men living on earth and for the souls in purgatory. The opinion is therefore wrong that says that the sacrifice of the Mass consists simply in the fact that the people make a spiritual sacrifice of prayers and praises, as well as the opinion that the Mass may or should be defined only as Christ, giving himself to the faithful as their spiritual food. No. No. It is truly the body and blood of Christ. It is not symbolic. It is not Christ giving himself to us apart from the actual host. 33. The Mass celebrated by the priest representing the person of Christ by virtue of the power received through the sacrament of his mystical body is the sacrifice of Calvary rendered sacramentally present on our altars. Let me read that again. The mass celebrated by the priest representing the person of Christ by virtue of the power received through the sacrament of holy orders and offered by him in the name of Christ and the members of his mystical body 
is the sacrifice of Calvary rendered sacramentally present on our altars. In other words, the Mass is not the re-sacrifice of Christ. No, it is the re-presentation of the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ brought through time and down on the altar through the words of the priest, which are the words of Christ. We believe that as the bread and wine consecrated by the Lord at the Last Supper were changed into his body and blood, which were to be offered for us on the cross, likewise, the bread and wine consecrated by the priest are changed into the body and blood of Christ, enthroned gloriously in heaven. And we believe that the mysterious presence of the Lord, under what continues to appear to our senses as before, is a true, real, and substantial presence. He is truly present, beloved. I just got goosebumps even reading that. We had Mass in the Priory this morning with two young men as altar servers, a very holy priest who used to be our priest in Tulsa. He's now at another diocese, and he came back to visit, and two young men, brothers, serving and so, and the extraordinary form in our chapel, so incredibly beautiful. One of them, want, one of those young men wants to be a priest. And they were raised, they are beautiful. I said, how, how do parents raise such lovely, one is 17, one is 23. How do parents raise such lovely, respectful uh, young men in today? And, and we talked a little bit about their home. And they've never had a TV. They were raised without TV. They are not on the Internet. They are not. They don't watch things. They don't listen to radio. The only do- thing they do on the Internet is communicate with family and friends. Everything holy and good. They are beautiful. They don't know. They don't know. Uh, they haven't been inundated and corrupted by everything that's going on today. And they're beautiful young men. So when parents say to me, you have no control over your kids today, that's because you have no control over your kids today. You're letting the society raise them. Well, I can't help it. Everyone's doing it. Doesn't mean you need to do it. Well, everybody's dressing that way. My daughters are conservative next to them. And I said to one woman, your daughters look like prostitutes. And that's an awful thing to say. She was tremendously offended and hurt by that. But I said to her, That was a man who told me that. That was the husband of a family who came and said, those girls look like prostitutes. And I told the mother that. And she got angry. No, she said, no, they they dress better than the girls in their schools. That's not the standard. The standard is our blessed mother. It's, It's awful, beloved. The key is the family. For faith, for belief, for respect, authority. Number 34. The unbloody immolation at the words of consecration when Christ is made present upon the altar in the state of a victim is performed by the priest and by him alone as the representative of Christ and not as the representative of the faithful. Do you hear that? The priest is not our representative to God. He is God's representative to us. He is in the person of Christ, in persona Christi. The faithful offer the sacrifice 
by the hands of the priest from the fact that the minister at the altar, in offering a sacrifice in the name of all his members, represents his members, Christ's members, represents Christ, the head of the mystical body. The conclusion, however, that the people offer the sacrifice with the priest himself is not based on the fact that being members of the church no less than the priest himself, they perform a visible liturgical rite. For this is the privilege only of the minister who has been divinely appointed to this office. Rather, it is based on the fact that the people unite their hearts in praise, in um, impetration, expiation, and thanksgiving with prayers or intention of the priest, even of the high priest himself, who is Christ, so that in the one and same offering of the victim, and according to a visible sacerdotal rite, they may be presented to God the Father. That's from Pope Pius Twelfth, Mediator Dei. You know, beloved, um, we are uh, destroying all authority in our world today, all hierarchy. Parents have lost their authority, and they blame it on the world, but it's not the world's fault, it's their fault. How many parents say, when I was raised, my parents wouldn't let me do that? Well, why do you let your children do that? Well, but they're out with the kids. They're on their iPhones. Why do they have iPhones? Why are you allowing them all this? I see three-year-olds with iPhones. They shouldn't be on them. They shouldn't play with their parents' phone to keep them busy or from crying. They shouldn't have that technology. It's destroying them. It's destroying their ability to communicate. They don't know how to spell anymore. They don't know what grammar is. It's terrible. Because we are communicating nonstop, our thumbs or fingers on the iPhones all the time, that communication, that electronic communication is destroying human communication of really discussing things with one another. It's, and, and, the, and the level of conversation is, is disgraceful. Like, you know, well, well I, you know what I mean? I don't have no idea what you just said. Like, you know, well, you know. No, I don't. Well, it was like, wow. Well, say it. What was like, wow? It. What? Well, the the movie was like, wow. What is like, wow? Well, it was wow. Well, tell me what wow is. Well, you know. No, I don't. Well, it was, um, I mean, it was cool. I said, what is that? And then when they finally try to describe it, I say, was it, was it like that or was it that? Like, wow. See, we're losing everything. People going to school today, they don't know how to write script. They don't know how to speak. They don't know how to communicate with respect. They treat adults as their peers or worse. You go to a restaurant and a waitress come over, comes over. Have you guys decided? You guys, in full habit, Sisters or adults in full habit, in full adults. Have you guys, you guys, you don't address an adult like that. Can I get you anything else? Terrible. No respect, no honor. 
people are objects. It's we're destroying our people. We are, not the world. We are, parents, the home. Can you keep your children from outside influences? No. But you can grow their faith even stronger in the midst of them. You think the first Christians weren't strong in the midst of their own people, the Jews who persecuted them and killed them? And then in Rome, Nero and everybody persecuting the Christians? Most of them died for their faith because they lived it. They didn't give in to the world. They didn't talk like the world. They didn't look like the world. They didn't dress like the world. We need to get back to that. We have a responsibility to spread the faith. Today, more than any time in the past, we have a responsibility, beloved. We don't get to live like the world. We don't get to speak and communicate like the world. We need to be different. We need to be in the world and not of it. Let me see where I left off. And so, you know why I got into all that with parents and children authority? Because it, it, that's what these prelates are saying in this paper about the priesthood and the Mass. We think we're offering the Mass with the priest. We are not. We are not. He is another Christ. And we offer our own sacrifices, our own intentions in union, but we don't offer the Mass. The priest does that. There is a separation between the priest and the people. And... um, uh, what did I, I just lost my, my thought on that. So many times I hear people at Mass saying the words which only the priest should say, and they're saying it along with him. I don't even like the term uh, Eucharistic minister. Nobody should have the title minister but a priest, a minister or deacon. That's it, holy orders. Nobody else is a minister. No one else. No one else. We're servants of God. We're not ministers. We're not Eucharistic ministers. The only Eucharistic minister is the priest, period. Um, okay, let me see where I am now. The faithful offer the sacrifice by the hands of the priest from the fact that the minister at the altar, in offering a sacrifice in the name of all his members, that's that's the name of all the members of Christ, represents Christ, the head of the mystical body. The conclusion, however, that the people offer the sacrifice with the priest himself is not based on the fact that being members of the church no less than the priest himself, they perform a visible liturgical rite. We do not. For this is the privilege only of the minister who has been divinely appointed to this office. Rather, it is based on the fact that the people unite their hearts in praise, in petration, expiation, and thanksgiving with prayers or intention of the priest, even of the high priest Christ himself, so that in the one and same offering of the victim, Christ is the high priest and the victim, and according to a visible sacerdotal rite, R-I-T-E, they may be presented to God the Father. Number 35, the sacrament of penance is the only ordinary means by which grave sins committed after baptism may be remitted. And by divine law, uh, hold on. 
So sorry. Hold on a moment. I'll begin that one again. The sacrament of penance is the only ordinary means by which grave sins committed after baptism may be remitted, and by divine law, all such sins must be confessed by number and by species. If you commit a moral, mortal sexual sin, you need to go to the priest and you just need to say, Father, I have sinned, I've committed this act, and if you've committed it ten times, you need to say that. And if there are other people involved, you need to say that if you want, because you have separated yourself from the life of God. And you must go to a priest and um, open your heart before God and, um, and, and bear your repentant soul if you wish to be restored to the church. If you do not have a heart with mortal sin of godly sorrow, then you are not forgiven you are not forgiven, then the grace of that sacrament will not be applied to you. The priest could say, I absolve you, but if you are not truly sorry and you're holding back and you intend to go and repeat that act, even as you're confessing it, you are not forgiven. As soon as you have a true confession, then that grace will be applied to you. Until then, you may not even receive the Eucharist. Beloved, there's the music for our break. And um, we'll be right back. Call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. The Journey Home is a powerful series with Marcus Grodi, who interviews converts and reverts to the Catholic Church. We offer this program to you live and as encore and best of presentations. Just visit thestationofthecross.com and click the Programs tab at the top of the page. Here you'll find the link to our programming schedule. That's at thestationofthecross.com. Users of iCatholic Radio are raving about our app in the iTunes and Google Play stores. One user says, It's exactly what I was looking for since having a closer walk with my Lord and my God. Great app for the living Catholic. Praise God. Nancy says, This is the best app. I have become a regular listener to it. I use it every day. I also play it all night long while we sleep. Get this app and use it. It will change your life for the better. Another user recommends iCatholic Radio, saying, So sweet a sound. This has allowed me to listen to Catholic Radio when I travel. What an awesome learning tool. Thank you. If you haven't reviewed iCatholic Radio yet, what are you waiting for? Visit your iTunes or Google Play store today. This is Father Jacek Mazur. Please join me in a prayer to St. James the Greater. O glorious St. James, because of your fervor and generosity, Jesus chose you to witness his glory on the mount and his agony in the garden. 
Obtain for us strength and consolation in the unending struggles of this life. Help us to follow Christ constantly and generously, to be victors over all our difficulties, and to receive the crown of glory in heaven. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm so happy to be with you. And we do have a caller on the line uh, who's calling in anonymously. Are you there, dear one? Yes, I am, Mother. Uh, hi. Go hi. ahead. With, I wanna, yes. I want to thank you so much for all you do. I really value your, your judgment. Uh, thanks so um, much. I a, um, I have a question about um, what's going on in my family, just to be brief about it. I have a niece who is basically not speaking to her sister-in-law, um, her brother's wife. And because of this, and it's over something really minor, um, that she thinks she's too controlling and hurting her brother. But it's really silly. But anybody who associates with this sister-in-law is also getting cut off. And it's basically tearing apart the family. Um, my sister is just so upset over it because she's no longer even speaking to her brother who now has a new son and she she's basically cut them all out of her life including her brother who she loves yes and including i mean she cut his wife out because she thinks his wife is too controlling i'll tell you something but i'm going to sneeze first hold on excuse me um you know when something um, when something really bothers us, I learned this years ago, and I and I keep it in mind every time an individual really gets my goat. I, they really bother me. I try not to show it. I try to be kind, or I try to stay out of their way, but they bother me. And I learned many years ago that when something really bothers us, it usually touches a button within us and a weakness within us. Whether we know it or not, whether we can identify it or not, it may not be that we do the same thing, but the motive behind their doing that act may be what we struggle with in other ways. Your sister is upset. Uh, Correct me if I got any relationships here wrong. Your sister's upset with your brother's wife. With No, your niece is upset with her brother's wife because... Her brother's wife is too controlling, and she hurts her brother. Well, the fact is, if she's cut them all off, who's controlling? Is she not? Well, and, and who's yeah, who's hurting her brother? It's her. She doesn't want his wife to hurt him, so she's going to hurt him by cutting herself off. There's no logic there. I know, and and this is what I did sit down and speak with her, and this is exactly what I told her. I said, "You're you're hurting him even more." Um, and so I, I not only spoke to him, my, to her, I'm sorry, my uh, daughter did, my sister did. So several of us have spoken with her, trying to rectify this. Has her brother spoken with her? 
I'm sorry? Has her brother spoken with her? Yes. Really? Yeah. And her big complaint, her only complaint, is that his wife is too controlling? It, that's, she, she'll go over a lot of little things that have happened. Because of her controlling nature. Mm-hmm. Correct, correct. Well, you may tell her, and, I would tell her, that women being controlling, over-the-top controlling, like his wife, uh, is a result of the fall is a result of the fall of Adam and Eve. It's, a, it's part of the curse that women's desire would be for her husband. And if we go back into the scripture, it's the same desire that our Lord spoke about in Genesis chapter 4 of sin uh, desiring Cain. It's the same word. It means to have control over you because it wouldn't be any part of the curse that a husband, that a wife would desire her husband. What's wrong with that? It's part of the curse. It's, it's that she would have desire to rule over him. That's the point. And so I would say to her, you know what? Um, uh, you're right. She is too controlling. You're right. And you know what else? It's a result. It's, it's a curse on women from the fall. That doesn't make women not responsible, but it's a curse on them from the fall. So in a sense, God has given women... Uh, a special spiritual gift of being nurturing, of being mothers, which men don't have, for the most part. Men can have part of that. Women can have some manly qualities as well. We're mixtures of things. But for the most part, God has given women a special sensitivity in order to love, in order to nurture, in order to multitask, in order to be doing the gardening and hearing a little infant's voice on the second floor of her house. I mean, she hears it like a, like a, a female lion. She knows everything and she's ready to kill at any moment if anyone's going to harm her family. So with that, which is a great gift, she's tremendously sensitive when things are out of line, when they're wrong, like your brother's wife when they're wrong. And so, um, but look at what we've done before God. Look at what we've done. Your, your husband's wife is controlling, but we put Christ on the cross. We nailed him to the cross, which is worse. Well, she nailed him to the cross, too. Of course she did. But you see, if God can forgive us for putting him to death, for putting his son to death, if he can forgive us for our many sins, who are we to not forgive and extend that compassion? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. She doesn't know what she's doing. She may know it, but she may not have any control over her being controlling. And that's something that your brother, I would say to her, needs to take care of or suffer with or love her through. But she needs to know that... Um, She's not the only one who sees those things. We're all sinners before God, but the only way to change people is through kindness and through love, and she may never change. But why penalize her brother and the rest of the family and herself because of a tremendous weakness that your brother's wife has and that she's hurting him? I'd say to her, you're hurting, you're not hurting your sister-in-law. You're hurting your sister-in-law because you're hurting your brother, and you're hurting the whole family. You have one complaint that she's hurting your brother, and you're hurting how many people? There's no logic in that, and you need to confess it. That's what I would say to her. I'll try again. Um, 
I know. Because yeah, I was I was thinking because in Matthew eighteen fifteen through seventeen, where uh, you yeah, go to you go to her, then bring a second witness, then tell it to the church. Right. I don't think that's going to do anything in this situation. No, that yeah, won't. If she was sleeping church. with another man, if she were doing something like that'd be different. But in this situation, uh, you you can't handle it with that kind of uh, discipline. No, she she needs to be loved. She needs to be validated that what she sees is true. But look what God sees with us. What if God treated us the way we treat her? And why you're so against her hurting your brother, and in turn you hurt the whole family? What kind of message is that? Yeah, I would I would give her loving messages. She won't receive anything else. Okay. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, You're welcome, dear one. You're welcome. And we'll be right back, beloved, after the break. Feel free again to call in with anything on your heart. 877-511-5483. We'll be right back. In St. Paul's first letter to St. Timothy, we read, Tell the rich to be generous, thus accumulating as treasure a good foundation for the future. We are all very rich in the blessings we receive from God, and if you've been blessed with the financial means to support Catholic Radio, your donations can now make an even greater impact as we strive to bring Christ to the world. Many organizations offer gift-matching programs for their employees' charitable donations. If your place of employment is one of them, be sure to take advantage of this opportunity in support of Catholic Radio and our evangelization efforts. May God bless you for your generosity to the Station of the Cross, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern Time for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit thestationofthecross.com for details. Prayer of Deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved. This is Mother Miriam on Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. And we just received a call from Margaret in Niagara Niagara Falls. Are you there, Margaret? Hello, Margaret? 
Okay. Here. Are you there? Yes, I, yes, I'm here. Go ahead, dear one. Uh, I just wanted to know, Mother, is there a time limit when you give someone an apology? In other words, the apology wasn't delivered maybe soon enough after what I said to someone, but I did try to do, you know, by various means of a phone call or a, a written letter, and it, it, nothing worked because of a family situation. So I was there's, just wondering, in other There's words, no time I, limit, Margaret. The time limit would be while you're alive, because when you're not alive, you can't make an apology. So, And again, we don't even know that we have tomorrow. So uh, the best thing, which I think you found out, is to never delay in making an apology. Um, but I mean, what do you do when the t- a time limit has gone by and the person... Well, there's no time limit. Well, now, why do you say a time limit has gone by? What? Who put well, the time so, limit but, on you know, it? Mother, this is kind of... A, are you ready to listen to a soap opera now? You have no, time? because we're on the radio. We don't have time. But here's the question. Yeah, um, is well, it something it where you might have apologized to someone a week later, but now it's been a few years? Is that the sort of idea? Well, yes. In other words, it was something happened at a family gathering for my niece's uh, birthday, a 60th birthday party. And this niece uh, was actually, at that time, dying from cancer. So, you know, we were all concerned about the family. Well, the back, uh, the story of this background, what happened was, I have And let me Let me see if you could sum it up in just a very few sentences. Well, it was something to do with my younger daughter had left her husband, and my other two older children were very Let me ask you this, Margaret. Let me let me let me stop you a moment. Are yeah. you the one that made the offense? Is that what they think? Well, the offense what I said was see, they the older the older my old my son and his wife at, you know, they were all invited and when they saw my daughter there, the one that left her husband. But at that time she had she was with another man and they just Margaret, I, I don't think you need to have all these details over the air. But oh. did you say something that offended them? Is that it? Yes. I, okay. And how long ago me. was that? Oh, this is about three years ago. Okay. Then what you do, there's no time limit. Of course, the longer you let it go, you know, the more sensitive it becomes. But, um, and in fact, sometimes with time in between, it's better. You never know, because at the moment, emotions are so high, they may not accept an apology, and you may not do it in a good way. But now, if you're truly sorry, um, and you're not just upset because your relationship is not right, but because you really think you did wrong, and you had reason to make that statement, but you think it was wrong. And so you need to go. Um, you need to go in person and you need to say, this is a few years. I'm sorry it's taken me this long to realize how wrong I was and to do something about it. Would you forgive me? That's that's what you might do. Called her, but she never picked up the phone. Then I wrote a letter and explained everything and she refused to read the letter. Did you explain? Did you explain why you said what you did at the time? I explained in the letter, but you refused no, to read it. No, you can't. It's either going to be an explanation or an apology. If you're going no, to explain... What I'm, what I'm trying to say is I, I sent the letter so she could No, I understand it she didn't read it. How, I, where I was coming from. Yeah, but that's not an apology. I understand it, Margaret. But if you ever want to try with another letter... You're either going to apologize or you're going to explain where you're coming from. When you explain where you're coming from to somebody that you've hurt, 
you're trying to excuse yourself. That's not an apology. When you make an apology, you say, I apologize that I reacted so poorly. You see? Of course there was a reason. I I, I called her on the phone and I said, would you like to get together and talk about this situation? No, she doesn't want to. You either to get no, but see, Margaret, you're not sorry. When you have offended someone, you don't put it on them to get together and talk about it. You don't send them a letter explaining anything. And you, I understand, she never opened the letter. You're not doing it. You're you're going to dig up all the hurt all over again. If it's a true apology, then you need to write a letter and not explaining anything, not asking to get together and talk, not putting anything on them whatsoever. Just write a true, humble letter of apology without explaining yourself and just simply say, "I, I know how I responded at the time and I ask your forgiveness. It's taken me three years to realize how wrong I was and how much it hurt you. End of story. Otherwise, it's not an apology, Margaret. You want to clear things up. You don't want to make an apology. If you want to make an apology, you don't clear anything up. You don't explain yourself. You don't say why you did what you did. You know, I I could go to confession and I say, well, I murdered that man. I'm just bringing something crazy up, Margaret. I murdered that man, but you know what? I've just had enough of him. He keeps threatening this and threatening that, so I put an end to it. Well, you're trying to justify your actions. You're not really uh, repentant. So uh, if your heart is truly sorry, you will not explain. You will not put it on anybody to get together with you and talk. You will not do anything except write a true letter of apology. Well, Mother, I always thought I'm sorry is an apology. What's that? I said I always thought saying, whether verbally or in a written letter, I am so sorry is an apology. No, it's not. It's just, it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up. What can I do? You need to tell her what you're sorry about. It's easy to yeah, say I'm I, sorry. I know she probably, she won't accept it if she won't accept Don't worry about her. It's only your part that you're dealing with, not her part. If someone says, you know, there's a young, young, new, young generation expression, you know, they'll make, when I'm checking out of a store or something, they'll say, uh, oh, sorry about that. I, I, I detest that. There's no responsibility in that. You're sorry about what? Well, that you got the wrong receipt. Are you sorry that you made a mistake? Are you sorry about not checking? Are you sorry about being careless? Say what you're sorry about. And so the same thing here. You need to not just say you're sorry, but say, I truly ask your forgiveness for my being so hurtful to you, so insensitive with what I said. It's taken me all this time to realize that. I truly am sorry about that, and I apologize. I was wrong, and I ask your forgiveness. That's an apology, without explanation, without excuse, but with specifically saying what you did wrong, taking responsibility for it. And until you're ready to do that, you're not sorry. Until you're ready to do that, you simply are sorry because your relationship has been damaged, but you're not sorry for what you did. If you're sorry for what you did, you need to say what you did and ask her forgiveness. 
and don't say I'd love to get together. Don't go anywhere else. Just deal with the subject of your well, repentance. When I did talk to her, she said she doesn't feel the same anymore. So she's well, you keep going back phone. to her. You stand before God. And mm-hmm. the only issue of your phone call, Margaret, is not to get together with her, but to make an apology. One thing at a time. One thing at a time. If you make a true apology with no strings attached, not I hope we can get together someday, zero. Just be responsible in making a true apology. Tell her what you said was wrong. It was hurtful. You were so upset at the time, you couldn't even see that, but you see it now. And but then if I do that and she still doesn't, you know, accept, you know, in other words, our relationship's still the same, then... Let it go. You got to let it go. Let it go. But you have to do what is right on your part and be sincere and then leave the rest to God. Okay. All right. And if she does get together with you, Margaret, if she says, okay, let's give it a try, don't Mm -hmm. bring anything up. Don't bring the past up. Don't bring your letter up. Let it go. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your help, Mother. I'll, I'll All right. give, give it that one more try. Thank you. All right, All right. Margaret. Yeah. Bye-bye. Okay. We had a call uh, from uh, a Brother Knight Scott, a uh, brother from the Knights of Columbus in Rochester, New York, and he left this message offline. His family says that Planned Parenthood does good things, even though they do abortions, which they do not believe in. Do you have any suggestions as to how I can talk to them about this? I'd say, well, surely. Uh, what's the problem? Do they, they do good things. So you're right. Even though they do abortions, you're right. What, what is the problem? And, and the problem is because someone who commits abortion is doing nothing right, uh, no matter what they do. I would say to them, suppose you wanted to send somebody to a social service agency, they needed housing, they needed shelter. And so you sent them to a certain social service agency with social workers who could understand their finances and their situation with the children and help them with housing. And you say to this friend of yours, I'm going to send you to this service, uh, particular social service agency. I, I just want you to know ahead of time they kill they murder 25% of their, of their patients, of their clients. They murder 25% of their patient, clients. But for housing and stuff, there won't be a problem. Would you send them there? Are you kidding? They murder 25% of their clients, but they might be able to find housing for you. Would you is that someplace you'd send them? Well, they do a good job in housing. I don't think so. I, that's what I would say to them. They are murderers. They are murderers. Do murderers do good things? Of course they do. Can a murderer help an elderly lady across the street when she drops her package? Of course. But his life is in thievery and murder and stealing. What are you going to do about that? He needs to repent. He needs to stop everything he's doing and give his life to God. Planned parenthood is run by murderers. Whoever commits abortion is a murderer. It's clear. You're putting a life to death voluntarily. You're not being drugged. It's not an accident. You are killing a life. It's called murder. 
I wouldn't send anybody to a murder factory, no matter what else they do. They make ice cream sodas on one part and kill babies on the other. What are you talking about? It's not even an issue. We have a text from someone who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, what is the church's position on a man that proposes to a woman with a condition of a prenuptial agreement? That's prenuptial and premarital, that before um, the marriage, they, they have a condition on which they get married. So what is the church's position on a man that proposes to a woman with a condition of a prenuptial agreement? so that prior grown children will receive all assets. The woman is not a person of means, although the man has considerable assets, but will be bring, will bring only 30000 a year to the marriage. They are both Catholic. Thank you for leading us to heaven with your concise direction. I say no. No prenuptial agreement. Now, uh, will you be sinning? I can't tell you that it's a sin. Here's a short answer uh, from a wonderful priest uh, who says, although canon law does not mention the topic, it really, I think, found a place where it does, of prenuptial agreements. The Catholic Church teaches that marriage is the complete giving of the spouses to God through each other. Therefore, there could be no strings attached. A prenuptial agreement is a very big string. Here's another Point here. Um, according to canon, the Code of Canon Law, number 1102, marriage cannot be validly contracted subject to a condition concerning the future. You see? Because it's a total commitment. For sacramental marriage to be valid, it requires a total commitment from both parties. When a condition is attached, the marriage is not valid. An example of a condition would be, I will marry you if you agree to give me half your assets, should we separate. Here we see that money is more important than the sacrament of marriage, and the party is already taking, talking of separation before the marriage has taken place. That's an invalid marriage. Look, when a woman comes here to enter religious life, she has the intention of marrying God. And I say to her, whatever you do not want to keep you give away before you come in, or at least before your vows. You could be here a few years, but before your vows, because then you're married to God. And once you're married to him, you don't have ownership over anything. So if you want to give it away, you give it away before your vows. And I would suggest that to a couple that's getting married. If there are children, if you want them to get a certain inheritance, give everything you have away before you marry. Give whatever you want away before they marry. You don't have to wait till you die. And then the two of you can live your life in full commitment without any conditions or planning for the marriage to fail. Okay, God bless you, everyone. We'll speak with you tomorrow.